episode 260 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log, with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot to Pilot podcast is brought to you by Learn the Finer Points. Use the link below to save 10% off their ground school app. Jim Higgins, professor of aviation at the University of North Dakota. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Today's episode is another state of the industry podcast with Dr. Jim Higgins. Uh, it's been a while since we had one of these on. Uh, I'm excited to have Jim back on. Uh, we're actually hoping to do these every few weeks. So there's a lot going on in aviation right now, whether it's uh, airlines picketing, whether it's just new contracts, regional pay, um, planes coming close to hitting the water, like what happened with United uh, a few months ago. It, it's wild out there. So I think this is needed. Uh, if you ever have any questions, please feel free to email them to me at justin at pilotscoffee.com. Uh, and when I mean questions, if you have any questions for us for the state of the industry, uh, if you have anything that you would like us to talk about, please let us know. But Aviation, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, grab your protein shake from First Form, your protein bar, your greens, whatever it is, anything from there. It's the best. Go ahead and grab it. Hit the link below and check out their amazing stuff. But Aviation, I hope you're having a great day. Jim, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Just thanks for having me back. I always enjoy our visits and uh, I get just as much out of talking to you about the industry as hopefully I'm able to contribute. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I can speak on behalf of everyone that's listening right now as I appreciate your insight uh, in this little conversation, just talking about what happens in the industry and adding a little bit of your expertise and uh, my nonsense. So uh, <laughs> we'll see what we can talk about today. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Yeah, well, I mean, kind of, I know we're probably what, that was almost a month and a half ago, but Southwest Airlines, uh, they really, <laughs> they're usually so customer forward in so many things and are very proactive about it. But there was this, uh, apparently there was just this kind of hidden, uh, I don't want to say demon, but there's this hidden error that was about to happen that was just on the brink of happening over and over again. And it eventually roared its ugly face and it was not for the better. So uh, what, what's what's the most up-to-date information you have with what's going on with Southwest? You know, there's been a lot written about it. I'm sure a lot of people that are listening uh, uh, have probably read about this or heard about this. And of course, I know that uh, just judging by the emails I've received, I'm sure you as well, there's there's a lot of Southwest employees that listen to this. So my heart goes out to all of you. It was a very tough time for the company. There's no doubt. Um, you know, it, it looks like it comes down to a, a kind of a simple explanation. And that is just that the technology that the company invested on regarding this infrastructure over the last several years has not kept pace, but I do have to, you know, and you know, I do come from a labor background, so I'll probably be a little anti-management jump on the uh, bandwagon. It may seem, but, but the truth is just like an aviation accident, there were things that were canaries in the coal mine here that could have let management know and the people that make these decisions know that, Hey, we're going to have a problem. I don't know if you recall Justin, but back um, in October of 2021, there was a little what I would call a mini meltdown with Southwest and the Jacksonville area. A lot of their flights in and out of Florida, tons of cancellations. Um, I remember it because it was right around my birthday back in, in 2021, right around the 9th, 10th of October. And the thing that was odd about that 
is there was a little bit of weather in the area. There was a storm, right? But none of the other airlines at that time were canceling like Southwest was. And it actually registered in the national media. And some questions were asked back then, hey, what's going on here? How come Southwest is canceling? Southwest put out a couple statements at the time saying, oh, hey, yeah, I just had some issues with the way the, way the uh, air traffic control kind of handled everything. I mean, they kind of, you know, did a great job at uh, deflecting, right? And we then we just went on to our merry way until we got to the end of 2022 and we all saw what happened then. So just like an aviation accident where often there's indicators that things might go wrong in the future if we just pay attention to those signals. I do believe there were signals here as well that, um, you know, could have let the company know that, hey, we need to, to modernize a few things. And, um, you know, again, I, I don't mean to beat up on the CEOs and, and whatnot, uh, you know, um, but the truth is, is after Herb Kelleher left, and of course, I've read a lot of those Southwest books, I'm sure a lot of people have, you know, the man was truly, you know, he was a revolutionary, thought things very differently, uh, thought of the world very differently than most of us ever would. And that's why he was able to, uh, to build such a successful airline. But the people he handed off to were much more internally business focused in the sense of, you know, finances. And um, there's things that the calculator can't do. The calculator can't calculate employee morale. The calculator can't calculate what happens when a weather storm takes out a hub. The calculator can't do that. And so, again, it's really easy for me to throw stones. I'm sure if this message ever gets back to them, they're going to say, well, way to pile on, Higgins. But, but the truth of the matter is, is I do think you need to get operational folks high up in the management chain People that have actually flown or, or turned a wrench or, you know, threw some bags in the back of an aircraft that know what it's like on the ramps that have dealt with passengers and customers. you got to have them way up on the food chain. You can't just have a vacuum making things as a financial decision. You know, not everything is a cost benefit analysis. Sometimes you have to just walk around and manage. And so I won't keep beating up on them. I'm sure they've heard it from a lot of places, uh, but they owe it to their employees uh, they, they have a great group over there. I do believe Southwest will learn from this. They have no choice. And I think they're going to be just fine. You know, we hit a low point. I don't know if you saw the Saturday Night Live uh, skit. It was uh, tough to watch. I mean, just because I have so many friends over there, I'm sure you do too. It was funny, but I think hopefully that's the low watermark and, and hopefully they can turn the corner here. I mean, at the end of the day, they are still selling flights. There's yep. like, like, I mean, Honestly, it's probably up upstairs. It's almost like almost status quo for them. It's like, all right, Saturday Night Live was the last two raw. It's all kind of kind of water under the bridge now. I mean, obviously there might be lawsuits and stuff like that, but the general public, the news cycle, it, it's all over or not all over, but that is over. So it, it's not prevalent in the media right now. So they're not honestly probably not as worried about it as you would think. They're probably back to business as normal uh, upstairs. If I had to had to guess, I think you're probably right. I certainly think they want to put this behind them. However, I would add there was a cost associated with it. Some estimates are it'll be a billion dollars when it's all said and done of impact. I guess we'll find out in the next earnings call what they estimate that to be. And two, they can't have this happen again, obviously. Uh, you know, there's there's going to be cancellations. There's going to be weather events. There's going to be acts of God that occur, you know, around the country that will impact them. They have to be impacted no less uh, or no worse than their competitors. And if they have another meltdown, I think that um, that's going to be problematic, you know, for the longer term. But you are correct, Justin, the public in particular, consumers that buy tickets, especially those that are leisure based, they are pretty fickle. 
<laughs> and they're pretty what we would call price um, uh, elastic. If the price comes down, you know, they're willing to look past that that type of stuff. And, you know, Southwest did follow up with a bunch of sales shortly thereafter. They're, they're not idiots at all on the financial side. There's no doubt they, they know what they're doing there. Well, it's interesting because what do you trust more? A system you've used for 30 years that had a one major, major meltdown or a brand new system you've never used before and don't know how it's going to react, you know? So they're really, I mean, they need to upgrade and they will upgrade, but it's kind of an interesting kind of case study to have, like, how does this new technology work for them and how they implement it? Is there a chance that there could be some kind of meltdown when, when something they didn't know or didn't code right happens on their new software? Yeah. Well, and you you may know this about me, but I do also sit as the CEO of a company called HubEdge and we do exa- we do optimization for airlines. I I'm under a non-disclosure for our primary customer, but it's it's a very very large cargo operator and so we optimize their 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 parking plan, which at first sounds like, "Oh, that what's what's the big deal? You tell the aircraft where to park." Well, it turns out that's a huge combinatorial problem and I don't want to hijack your your podcast and talk about all the intricacies of machine learning and AI, but you know, it's a buzzword right now, but, but um, really airlines can invest in that. Some are a lot better at it than others. You know, um, human beings, uh, we, we found, we found something with the artificial intelligence that the, the sage wisdom of your top airline employees, like, like the people that sit in contingency planning, you know, I've always taught in my classes that those folks are going to be your smartest people at the airline operationally. They're going to be your high IQ people that are going to sit there and they're just going to kind of be able to consider more variables than the average person can consider. But even with your top people with 20, 30 years of experience, there comes a point, a a human limitation that they're just not able to manage all the variables and do it in a timely fashion. And that's where, you know, some of the modern systems coming in that are AI assist. and, And I hate to say it as a pilot, this is tough to say, but the AI logistics scheduling softwares, um, the even the weather predictions, the different things like that that are out there now, they far exceed you know anything even your smartest engineers can can do as far as air, uh, airline planning. Um, and so Southwest is going to have to make an investment. The good news is is they weren't the first to to uh, you know tip their toe in there. The other airlines have gone down that path and had some of those learning pains you talked about. But they're going to have to take a fundamental. Uh, redo. They don't want to rush into it, no doubt about that, but they definitely are going to want to take a look at that. Everything from their revenue management all the way to their logistics planning, their back-end maintenance, all of that's going to have to uh, be modernized. It's also funny because there's no way that they're the only airline that's still running a very outdated software. You know, someone else, I'm, I'm not going to name like an airline name because I don't know, but someone was like, oh crap, that could have been us very easily. It's like, let's uh, let's get this uh, new software rolling here ASAP. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I do know it's been a big push over the last five to 10 years. The airlines want to get rid of what's known as a single point of failure, which of course makes sense to a pilot, right? You don't want one system that if it goes down, it's going to take the whole plane down. But from an organization, the same thing happens. And often those are people. If you have like an engineer or a contingency planner, that's really good. And maybe they're getting close to retirement or, you know, the, the, the horrible analogy that's always used is maybe they get hit by a bus tomorrow. What's your company going to do? I think the more positive way to put that is maybe they win the lottery tomorrow and quit, right? But whatever the case is, if you lose those folks, if you lose those assets, or if you have a computer program that's just put together by scotch tape and paper clips, then yes, you're absolutely uh, playing with fire. And, um, you, you know, there, you, you, well, you're exactly right. I guess we'll just have to see how it works out. 
So when do we expect their revenue call to be, uh, or to figure out their profits and, and what the real impact was? Yeah. You know, they do a, uh, qu- there'll be a quarterly. I, I don't know when their earnings, um, they have an earning earnings calendar that they publish. I don't know when their next earnings call is. It's, it's about that season for many airlines. Many airlines are coming out with their quarterly earnings. They'll also do their end of year. Um, it, you know, every, at least every three months that's going to happen. So I would imagine it's going to happen, you know, in the next month or two, it is published. I just don't have it in front of me, but when they do, I think it'll be really interesting to listen to what's, what's said. The CEO is under fire. Uh, I'm sure behind closed doors, the board who the CEO answers to has had very direct conversations. So, um, you know, I, I, there's no doubt that's going to be a topic at that call. Yeah. For sure. And it'll be really interesting to see because uh, I, I think it was Delta and I want to say American, maybe it was United. I can't remember. I know it was Delta for sure uh, announced that they're, they're profitable for the first time since pretty much the pandemic. Uh, I, I believe yeah, it, I'm correct in that statement, but <laughs> fact check. Yeah, Uni- United just came out with that and I believe um, Delta did as well. So yeah, absolutely. We're starting to see, we're starting to see profitability return, which, which is fantastic. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And uh, it, it's something that when we first started talking, we really had no idea where this was going to go, how this was going to go, what the landmark or what just aviation would look like as a whole. But uh, hopefully, uh, last time I said that uh, <laughs> it's, everything should be rosy and good now, uh, but hopefully we're turning the corner for sure. And uh, we're here for another continuing upswing in the aviation industry. I think that's going to happen. You know, the interesting part about that, there's two things to, to think about. Uh, thing number one is the business travelers still have not returned to the same levels that we saw pre-pandemic. However, passenger travel in general has. So what that means is, if you're an optimist, that we've still got a lot of room for growth. Um, of course, as we all know, business travelers are very sensitive to economic conditions. And there's a lot of forecasting out there going on saying that we're going to go through some turbulent times, perhaps even a, a recession or a longer recession. So if that happens, we still may see some some um, lagging recovery in terms of business travel. But the airlines learned a long time ago for a variety of ways, uh, for a variety of reasons. They've learned how to still make money even when the business traveler isn't there, mostly through ancillary income. But that's a topic for another day we've talked about before. But there's other ways. And so this is good to see. The second thing to think about is we are seeing a little bit of a contraction on the cargo side. Um, you know, FedEx has announced that they're going to lay off employees, not pilots, but they did stop hiring pilots for a while, but they are going to lay off some employees. Of course, they had prolific growth through the pandemic. Um, and so did all of the, um, uh, air freight business ob- for obvious reasons in the pandemic. People, people had a lot of stuff delivered. So now they're seeing a little bit of a contraction. So, you know, you're seeing a little bit of a mixed bag there. Uh, but long term, the underlying factors for growth are definitely still there. And you brought up business travel uh, and obviously we have to represent the whole aviation industry as I also fly or not also, but I am a fractional pilot. So we fly a lot of business travel and we noticed when the pandemic was starting, we had an influx of customers. We had an influx of business. Um, I wonder how many have kind of saw what you can do with a private jet or the fractional side or the card side, whatever, however you want to get into it. And they just don't know if the airlines are worth it anymore for business travel. Like, I wonder if, is there the chance, I mean, there's going to be people that will go back just because fractional and owning your own jet are just crazy expensive. And to buy one first class ticket is much easier than coming up with millions of dollars for an airplane. But I I truly do wonder if the airlines kind of lost some of that um, business for good. 
Well, I think that is possible. Uh, and let me just explain just a couple things on that that I think I think you were kind of getting at there as well. You know, the first the first point to think about is the big thing with um, obviously with business travel is time, right? And um, I, I know that even smaller businesses, businesses that in the past had not budgeted for any type of private aviation, you know, it'd be interesting to see if there's any data out there from the FBOs that in the, you know, the charter world. But my guess is, is you saw a lot more of that, a lot more activity there as well. Even people that don't have a um, uh, ownership in a fractional or their own aircraft, my guess is you saw some increased activity there. Um, and so I think the answer is yes. I think some people uh, saw that they can save so much time. And, um, you know, uh, for instance, the company I work for, if we had to spend $10,000, you know, I, you know, if we had to spend a couple thousand dollars an hour to get somebody on a couple hour flight somewhere because of a critical contract uh, problem, you know, we would do it without breaking a sweat. We'd have no choice to do it. It's something we couldn't do at the airlines. And so that time savings alone is, is going to be enough to, to, to help. So that's one thing to watch to see what kind of business recovery we have in the airlines versus what kind of growth we see on the on the corporate sector. Um, the other side of that with the airlines is the jury is still out on, you know, virtual meetings because the world learned to meet virtually during the pandemic. And one of the big questions was, was, are you going to see when the pandemic subsides, are you going to see a return to people going face to face? The answer is yes, people are starting to go face to face more, but again, they have not returned to the pre-pandemic levels. And so the jury's still out a little bit on that second factor on the, it's, it's technically, I guess what you'd call like an intermodal competition, the mode being virtual versus physical. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see. You know, the future's still bright just because of the the forecast still point north for everything. But that is going to be something that'll be interesting to watch. What does a recession look like for pilot hiring? Um, I feel like, and this is just my own opinion from kind of what I saw and, and what I'm thinking and and how the market looks, is that a lot of airlines don't even know if it's worth a furlough even in the near future, unless it's absolutely catastrophic, which we saw the pandemic, which is catastrophic, but I feel like it brought in a new type of um, coming to the union and coming together and figuring out a way to keep everyone on board. But even more than that, it's just the training costs that you incur when you bring all these pilots back. It's almost impossible, especially when there's people that are going to mean they need to fly when the recession is gone and we're back in the upswing again, you know? So I, I wonder, would you, I mean, furloughs probably aren't gone for good, but like I, they're going to try everything they can just like they did before uh, to, to keep a furlough from happening in the future where before it was just kind of a drop of the hat furlough. Bye. See ya. You're gone. No, your, your sense is exactly right on that throughout the years the ability to furlough somebody in terms of a cost benefit analysis has, has gotten much more difficult for the airlines, primarily driven by furlough protection provisions and collective bargaining agreements, you know, amongst the various uh, unions, right? It, it, by definition, it should be an expensive, if you're a union member, for sure, it should be very expensive proposition to furlough. But you add to that exactly what you're saying now, the companies did discover that the recovery from the pandemic in terms of needs for pilots um, was actually a lot faster than anyone, myself included, anticipated. Um, even though the travelers didn't necessarily return, the business travelers didn't return, the demand for leisure travel did. And of course, we all know what happened during the pandemic. There were a lot of early retirements, a lot of early or extended leaves of absences, you know, um, different types of programs that were enacted 
you know, to basically from the airline point of view to get rid of the the highest paid people on property, right? So you didn't have to pay them during during this. And so so a lot of that experience, you know, in some cases it was thousands of pilots at some of the major airlines left, right? And then all of a sudden you have this massively quick recovery, which kind of surprised everybody. And, you know, the airlines, as we all know, they've been hiring like they've never hired before over the last couple of years. And so they learned a lesson there to your point, Justin, that they have to be a little more judicious with the furlough trigger, not just because it's expensive, because it really is expensive, because you have to you have to furlough in seniority order at a union carrier, um, which you know makes it very difficult. Like you said, the, the churn on training alone is uh, tremendous. Um, but it also for the recovery has long lasting impacts as well. And that's been, that's been the big lesson, you know, um, historically the last recession we had was the great recession of the, you know, the 2009, 2010 housing crisis lasted a lot longer than a normal recession. In fact, they call it the great recession. I think now is what the, what they study with it. You know, um, we generally in those types of recessions, the airline industry, the travel industry in general, they generally, you know, lead, lead the downturn and they leg the recovery. We are not seeing that here. Um, so the fundamentals may have shifted. And again, I think it has to go with the fact that the airlines have learned how to generate revenue no matter the market conditions. Yeah, and it's interesting. I've, I can't find that. I was looking for the article, but I saw somewhere uh, where the government's trying to really el- eliminate stupid fees. I mean, I, I use stupid for a lack of a better term, but just those kind of like gotcha fees. Um, so I don't, I mean, I assume that they will still be able to make good amount of money on ancillary costs, uh, on charges, but, uh, maybe that'll go down a little bit if they have to eliminate some of those fees. So it's interesting you say that, you know, from a consumer point of view, it's really easy to get on the bandwagon of condemning airline fees. And of course, I think some of the fees you're talking about are the ones that maybe weren't fully disclosed or, or weren't as transparent. So it was discovered by people after the fact. Um, you know, those are those are those are pretty bad. Right. And I think everyone can agree that that should not be a good business practice. However, um, the truth is the airlines, even the ones that do a lot of ancillary stuff, I, you know, think of the ultra low cost carriers. You know, they do a lot of like baggage fees, upgrade fees, seating fees, priority fees, you know, all kinds of things. And you want to know the truth? The truth is, is they, they have a lot more wood to burn in that area if they wanted to. So you have Wall Street and investors that are kind of pounding on these companies saying you need to do more of this uh, because you can make more money. It's, it's like a dollar bill that's just sitting on the ground. All you got to do is reach over and pick it up because the studies show people are not, you know, they'll complain. They'll write letters. They'll post things on social media. But you know what else they'll do? They're still going to buy their ticket. And uh, even if they have to pay the extra dollar or whatever. So so the point is, is um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of wood to burn in that business model right now. And it doesn't doesn't seem to be affecting that the hidden fees that people didn't see. I think that that's definitely something that you'll see the DOT crack down on. And, and I, you know, as far as I know, in the U.S., those are uh, don't happen quite as often as you see overseas. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting because I've recently bought a couple of tickets for my mother-in-law to come down and, and watch Emmett, our kid, uh, and Frontier had a direct flight and no one else did. So it's like, all right, cool, we'll do Frontier. It's also the cheapest option. But then when you do everything, it's like, well, this was more expensive than a United flight. It's like, what? Right, like, yeah, right. I don't well, understand. Like, yeah. How are you a low-cost carry? <laughs> but I get it. <laughs> but it's just crazy. No, it's right. See, I so I travel a lot with my two kids. They're uh, both teenagers now. 
But um, when they were younger, you know, you obviously couldn't sit apart, right? You can't, you can't have your five-year-old, you know, sitting in a center aisle while you're 20, 20 rows away. It's just every parent would know that that's a, that's really hard to do and you shouldn't do. So as a consequence, you know, like you, I was forced to, to pay all the, all the upgrade fees to make sure we sat together. Or in some cases I couldn't fly on the airline that had that low cost. So, so yeah, you know, the behavioral economics people that work for these airlines, that's the field, by the way, it's called behavioral economics. They've learned how to incentivize and somewhat punish consumers for making various choices. So as to incentivize a passenger to extract the exact, this is going to sound evil, but they, they try to extract the exact amount of uh, revenue out of every passenger as they were willing to pay. And every dollar they're short on that, uh, actually is a failure of their optimization algorithms. But, um, you know, you, we've seen various examples of this. Uh, I know, uh, you know, so I'm a, I'm a Delta um, Platinum, uh, you know, medallion guy. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, or it just means I travel too much, but they've got me down, right? They know, I swear they're really good. They know exactly what I'm willing to pay in miles or cash to upgrade. You know, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm looking at a seat and I'm like, oh, you know, I'd probably do that for a hundred bucks or, you know, maybe 20,000 miles and big as heck there it pops up. I mean, it pops up on my app. Hey, you can upgrade here for 20,000 miles. Uh, or you can take your chance and see if you just get the upgrade. And they're very good at making those predictions based upon, um, you know, my past behavior and what I've been willing to do. I'm sure my profile says sucker, right? <laughs> here comes a guy, you'll be able to get stuff from him. But uh, it works, and they're very good at it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing that's interesting, uh, everyone's been talking about this pilot shortage, and obviously we are in a pilot shortage, but it has come to kind of a realization toward the end of last year that we, the United States specifically, actually created enough pilots to project for, I mean, not for the, the full future, like 20, 30 years, but they had 10,000 new commercial pilots, which is way more than they ever expected. Uh, and, and those numbers reportedly put the industry back on track to surpass the current demand at the airlines. So uh, it's very interesting with those numbers. I don't know if it's just an anomaly or uh, these these big new pay rates, you know, people just busting through training and getting out there or what, or if maybe we figured out a way to write the, the ship and write the shortage. So there's a couple things to consider with that with that number. Um, first, with in, with commercial certificates, um, keep in mind that uh, up to about 50% of the training in the U.S. is done for foreign nationals that have no intention of staying in the U.S. They're going to go back to their home country because there's only really um, a couple places in the world where you have a general aviation environment or a flight training environment outside of the military that can train civilian pilots in mass. Uh, one of them's Australia, the other one's the U.S. A little bit in Asia and a little bit in Europe, but even those two places are very, very expensive. So, so the two cost-effective places are Australia and the U.S. And I think you know anyone that's listening to this that has a subscription to any of the magazines, you know, AOPA or Flying, you'll see all kinds of um, academies and you know fast track stuff in there. But those same places are doing a lot of business with overseas because we have the infrastructure and the ability to to train them. So the last time I looked, and I haven't looked uh, post pandemic, but the last time I looked, about fifty percent of the training in the U.S. was going to foreign nationals. So when you look at ATPs, that's the more interesting number. Uh, because that number increased as well. But recall, you have to get your ATP to, um, to to get hired, you know, at any kind of a 121 carrier. So that there was an artificial inflation there for a while. The most interesting one to me is the CFI certificate, because the CFI certificate, uh, you know, first off, 93% of all 
121 pilots, civilian pilots in the U.S. have at least one hour of dual given. So it absolutely is one of the primary pipelines to the 121 world, uh, probably to the to the fractional world, probably to to any professional uh, position, right? Because it's just how you how you build your time. But it, there's actually a number on it, and I can cite those studies for you. But um, that that person that becomes a CFI almost never is a foreign national that's going to go back. They're almost always U.S. pilots that are aspiring to move further on in their career. And so those are the numbers that are the most interesting. And those numbers we have also seen an increase in, but not as sharply as the commercial and the ATP numbers. So um, again, we're treading water. We're keeping our head above water uh, in terms of the pilot supply. It wouldn't take much, though. I mean, you got United, Delta, and American that are just hiring gangbusters. It's just not going to take much to to uh, put a lot of pressure. And, and keep in mind too, Justin, we haven't even seen the massive retirements yet. Those don't come until uh, 25, 26. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and you're probably right. It's just uh, someone either, I don't know if like an airline was paying for some good press and make it seem better or uh, they just well, really- Alpa, huh? Yeah, yeah Al- Alpa, you know, and I, I, I they get mad when I say this and I've actually talked to some of their resource folks they get mad at me because, you know, I'm a former MEC chair and, and you know, I, I'm a big Alpha believer. But, you know, right now their their main talking point is, is there's not a pilot shortage. Right. And I understand why they're saying that. And if I was still in my previous position, you'd hear me just as loud as everyone probably saying that as well. And um, it is true. If you pay someone enough money and give them enough of a quality of life, uh, no matter what, you will always be able to attract people. So from that point of view, that is correct. But they're definitely putting out a lot of press on that right now. And they're also, of course, fighting the single pilot um, push. I don't know if you saw Boeing's uh, CEO's comment yesterday yeah, at a press was, conference. It, it's coming. Yeah. It was just it's like, ready. yeah, nothing yeah. you can do to stop it. It's coming. And yeah. I don't even know if that was about single pilot. I think that was just fully automated. It was flying too. fully automated. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's not like, just go ahead and skip single pilot. We're just going to take you out, which every airline and company would be like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> Let's take a break from today's podcast to hear from our sponsors, RAA. Did you know there are three action steps you can take to protect yourself in a volatile market? Volatility in the market can make the best investor a little nervous and take actions that they know they normally wouldn't. It can be stressful and you may be thinking, shouldn't I be doing something though? Well, the answer is yes. The first and maybe the most important action you can take is to resist the urge to make decisions based on recent market movements alone. This is tough, but will pay off in the long run. Next, if you're feeling stressed in this market, it may be time to review your risk tolerance and your ability to take a loss in downturns. We all like to think we can take the risk up until the point where we actually see fluctuations in our portfolio. And lastly, get a second opinion on where you stand financially so you can take a longer-term view of the market in your financial plan. Not sure where to start? RAA can help. Founded by Pilots for Pilots and with four decades of financial planning and investment management experience, RAA is intimately familiar with unique benefits, risks, and career timelines that pilots face. Whether you're early in your career as a pilot or you spent years flying the line, RAA is here to help navigate your financial journey from takeoff to touchdown. For more pilot-specific planning tips, go to raa.com slash pilot to pilot. That's pilot to pilot. And now back to today's episode. Well, I, I yeah, that's... We'll have to talk about that sometime for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to segue kind of to that because one of the oh, first places 
that decided to make an announcement of all places was Ameriflight, saying that they're going to buy 20 pilotless airplanes. Uh, I don't know who the manufacturer is, um, but they made this announcement on Instagram and their comment section, uh, for lack of a better term, was a dumpster fire. And (laughs) they definitely uh, were not anticipating what the backlash was going to be, especially for... I'm not trying to like crap on a mare flight, but just like, especially for not like one of the main companies to do it. And I don't know if that's strategic by uh, the cargo industry because a mare flight is a huge feeder in a UPS, FedEx, uh, Atlas, like a bunch of these companies. So I don't know if they want to kind of start it down there first and see how it goes. And then they have a case study to be like, Hey, look, look how safe this has been and look how profitable this is. Uh, and then make it work its way up. But it was definitely interesting to hear Ameriflight being the ones, cause I don't know if anyone's ever seen an Ameriflight plane, but they look like they could invest in some paint rather than some new airplane. <laughs> so, you know, I'm an old night cargo pilot, not for Ameriflight. I flew for another one, but I, I would fly in the middle of the night as shorts, three thirty, sometimes <laughs> a three sixty. So, so I get that world very, very well. And, um, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to say. Uh, of course, we all know the regulatory issues involved in a pilotless aircraft. Uh, you know, uh, even flying your your drone, uh, you know, out in a rural area uh, for any kind of commercial purpose when it, when you leave the line of sight requires an incredible waiver process. I couldn't even imagine what would happen when you took a revenue one thirty five uh, cargo flight that flies over presumably flies over people and flies into airports. And you don't put a pilot on board. That being said, um, I do think that where you probably will see, well, for lack of a better word, the canary in the coal mine, we're using that again, um, from a pilot perspective, will be cargo. And I think what you're going to see, there's some new studies that have been uh, proposed by the FAA uh, and have been fought back through Congress uh, by the labor unions. But uh, every year, there's proposals that come out to study uh, relief of augmented crew requirements. So think about that for a second. What does that mean? Well, as you know, on really super long haul flights, you have to have an augmented crew, sometimes a full, an additional full crew uh, that can take that flight halfway through. Sometimes these planes can fly for 14, 16 hours, right? So, you know, you got really, really, you gotta, you're gonna have to have a lot of people to fly them. Well, one of the ways it's done often is with an augmented crew member who will come up and sit in one of the pilot seats while another crew member goes back and sleeps and gets their rest during the flight. The thought process is, is what would happen? This is what the studies may be looking at. What would happen if instead of bringing up another crew member, you just left one crew member on the flight deck, and then you had that flight deck remotely monitored using telemetric data from the flight deck. Now, of course, the union guy in me opposes this profusely. The safety guy in me says there's way too many issues with this. But aside from that, that's probably where you're going to start seeing the incrementalism to move towards uh, pilotless, uh, pilotless uh, aircraft. You'll see it, in my opinion, on long-haul freight with the relief officers first, and you'll see that. And as soon as there's a safety case study that occurs there, then you'll start seeing it incrementalizing to, to less and less. I just, it, it's, it's sad because we look back at the history of, of the commercial aviation world we used to have a bunch of people on the flight deck. You know, we used to have navigators and radio operators, flight engineers, you know, and, and several others. But of course, our history has been that technology continues to replace a lot of those positions. And um, sadly, uh, it's very possible that we're going to continue to see that uh, shrinkage and uh, that technological thing. And, and sociologically speaking, uh, Justin, you know, people like you and me, people that fly, 
we, we probably right now today, we would say, no way am I putting my family on a pilotless aircraft. But as this younger generation gets exposed to self-driving cars, self-driving buses, self-driving everything, it becomes kind of a cultural norm to see the automation, you know, the, the full trust and automation. I do think there is a time, and this is sad for me to say, but there is a time in the future where you probably will see acceptance for and the technology and eventually the last domino to fall is going to be the regulate the regulatory group. I think you will see those dominoes fall. Um, when's that, when is that going to happen? That's, that's a matter for, for a guessing game, but, um, but it is probably going to happen sadly. Yeah. And what's also interesting about that is, you know, airplane or not airplanes, companies operate airplanes for a very, very long time. So how do they retrofit other airplanes? You know, like is every airplane from here on out, <laughs> going to be built with a, a switch that turns on this technology or is that up to date enough in 10 years when it comes out like you like how are they going to implement this is it just going to be one airplane one fleet of airplane that eventually becomes the whole fleet so it could let's say in 20 years the first one's here 15 years the first plane that can fly itself is here all right cool that's one airplane we still need a ton of pilots for all these other airplanes but right. when does it go from one to all is like, like that's the, the big thing that's the big question. You know, for interesting uh, look up the people that are listening, they should they should look up um, Boeing. We we might have talked about this before, but Boeing made an announcement of their 797, which is uh, I think has a service date of around 2028. It's a new aircraft that that you know is on the drawing board. And when they first put out the press release, it was either at the Paris Air Show or the Dubai Air Show or or, or maybe even um, Gatwick, uh, but but wherever it was, they they made an announcement about it there. And um, with that press release came the additional language that they plan to offer it within a single pilot variant. Uh, but within about 48 hours, that was walked back by Boeing as a mistake. But um, if you get a chance to, to look at that, that was, it actually caught some national media for a while there as well. We haven't heard much about it, but that might be the answer to your question. You know, you're absolutely right. The retrofit on some of these aircraft is, is going to be extreme for something like that. Uh, but the newer aircraft that comes off the line, I think you're going to start seeing capabilities engineered in that may make that more possible. Um, again, I just want everyone to know I'm not advocating for this. It's, it's a tough time, but I just uh, if I'm being a realist and I'm being honest, I think it's just um, I think it's just what's in the cards for the for the future. And another thing to kind of throw on top of that is with the pilot shortage and with this kind of uh, race to be the highest paid pilot, eventually pilots will kind of price themselves out of the market to where it's cheaper to operate these airplanes with one pilot or two pilot or with no pilots and the automation, uh, this initial whatever new airplane cost isn't going to be a deterrent anymore because pilots are going to be so expensive. You're absolutely right. Those are the two biggest cost centers for an airline, labor and fuel. And, you know, fuel, of course, is managed now with hedging and with long term plans. And labor is the one that seems to be the one that uh, companies have the, the hardest time to control. And um, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's um, there's going to be a lot of pressure to reduce labor costs uh, going forward. Crazy. Uh, it's just something that you just got to it's just something we have to deal with. It's kind of. Uh, pilots are coming up with, with other issues, losing the navigator, losing the radio operator, deregulation, like all that kind of stuff. It's just the next thing that's coming to 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 ruin the aviation career as a full-time career. <laughs> what jerks. It, it sure feels that way. I know. I, I, I do want to say, though, um, you know, my wife and I were talking about this, you know, uh, she, she's in her 40s, you know, I'm early 50s. And, you know, I don't think... Um, 
I still think this is like you said, this is, it's not going to be a light switch where all of a sudden we flip a switch and everything's unmanned or reduced crew. But, um, I do think that, uh, uh, we're still a generation away at least of, um, of seeing, you know, mainstream, um, you know, remote flying and mainstream autumn, you know, reduced flight, uh, flight deck, uh, staffing. But, um, but I don't know, I, I can't make a specific prediction. I know some people want it to happen a lot sooner and some people of course want it to happen a lot later or not at all. Yeah. And it's one of those things that if there is one accident in the beginning, it's over, it's done. It's set back 50 years until they try again. So, uh, releasing an aircraft like this, that has this potential is going to be very, very careful on the uh the manufacturer's part because they know that if this is just one issue their company with this all their eggs in this one basket could put them under i mean it's something that you really have to be careful when you come out with so they really only have uh, a very small window once they decide to make this happen for to gain that public trust because like i said as soon as something goes wrong it's, it's pretty much gonna be over for a while that's a fair point just look at tesla look at their uh self-driving cars uh, or the, I'm sorry, they're not self-driving, but, um, the automated, the autopilot function, you know, um, the truth is they actually have a really good safety record, uh, in comparison to other vehicles that, that travel. Right. But, um, the one or two times they had automation failures, uh, which, you know, were spectacular, not in a good sense, spectacular failures and, and then led <laughs> to loss of life. Yeah. Uh, those made major, I think even the NTSB might've been involved in one of them, believe it or not. So, so you're exactly right. Your point's well taken that if there's any kind of an automation thing, when there was no hum- when there were no humans in the loop uh, and it, where there was an accident, you can bet that there will be a lot of scrutiny and it very well could be the end of it for a while. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, but like we talked about before, passengers already forgotten about Southwest meltdown and they're buying the cheapest tickets. So, I mean, we're kind of our own worst enemy when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, let's, uh, let's not end this on such a depressing note. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, let's be the last thing we talk about, talk a little bit about, uh, I believe it was PSA. I want to say PSA. They just extended yep. their pay rates out until what? 2026. They did. And, you know, it's an exciting time to be a pilot in the industry. I'm going to sound like an old, old man right now, but we haven't seen, you know, things like this for quite some time. I know it's the new norm where you can get these uh, incredible, you know, bonuses, sign-on bonuses and retention bonuses in addition to this flat-out pay. And we are seeing uh, regional captains, uh, just just mainline, or I'm sorry, just regional captains that aren't doing any additional duties like line check airmen or management or, any, or training or anything like that, that are flat-out making more than you're seeing at the legacy carriers in the, in the right seat. Um, and when you start getting into some of these carriers like PSA uh, and, of course, you know, all the all the AA carriers, which would include Envoy, um, you know, when you start looking at those carriers, um, if all of a sudden you're a captain there and you throw on, you know, your line check airman with your overload, you know, you can start you can start making some pretty serious money and to go work at a uh, mainline uh, could give you some pause. And, you know, that's by design. Uh, especially in the case of an LCA, because um, it's really hard to replace those folks, that, that particular personnel. But it's really nice to see this uh, because uh, coming out of college, uh, you know, a lot of students, myself included, we had a lot of debt because we had to self-finance all of our all of our aviation. I mean, I don't have to tell you this, uh, Justin, I know your wife's a doctor. It's been probably way more expensive to do that than, than to be a pilot. But, but you put all this time and effort 
into getting all these ratings and certificates and you, and you make it there, it's good to see a payoff and a payoff right away. You know, that that's really as it should be. And, you know, I mean, I remember uh, Jonathan Prater, who used to be the um, the president of Alpa. He, he told a story that, you know, this is back when I was flying for the regionals, that if a regional pilot at the time flying a jet from, I don't know, New York to Boston, if every passenger of all 50 passengers were to walk off that plane and give a one dollar tip to the flight crew, they would more than double their pay, you know, for the year. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, that's a pretty sad Sad commentary, and I'm glad he made that commentary because it really pointed out there's a lot of responsibility for anyone flying an air, airplane, and so people should be remunerated for that. And so it's really good to see that. And um, um, you know, and uh, I know that uh, from a management point of view, it probably gives them some trepidation and it's difficult, but um, it's it's really good to see the payoff for the the people coming out into the industry. It's crazy to think about when they announce this like two-year plan. It's like, well, let's be real. You're not going to go back to your old pay rates after this because you're not going to have any pilots because everyone would leave after making all this money and then like, all right, well, now you're only making a hundred grand now. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. nope, not happening. Sorry, I'm out. Like, right. <laughs> see ya. So everyone knew this was coming and it was by design. I just don't know why they didn't just like come out and say, hey, it's till 2026. I don't know if they're like, hey, we, maybe this won't be a thing. Like this whole pandemic thing, maybe this airline isn't going to be, so let's not go ahead and uh, overextend ourselves too much. But uh, it's definitely interesting to see them be like, oh yeah, we're going to keep doing this uh, and put pressure on the rest of the market. Yeah, it's 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 a good point. You know, as long as I've been in the industry, uh, you know, and in my, I come from a, a an industry family, it is true. We have a tendency to always say whenever there's no hiring going on and there's mass furloughs, that this is how it's going to be from now on. This is the new reality. And then conversely, when everyone's hiring and there's these massive bonuses, we have a tendency to say that's going to continue that way from now on. It's the new normal. But the truth is, is we do cycle. And even though I think that um, the the underpinnings and uh, the fundamentals look really strong for the pilot market going forward, uh, we certainly might see some shaving. And that's why you see the dates like the 2026 and, you know, the two-year plans and the three-year plans. Um, and it also, I think, should serve to a pilot that's maybe going to make a decision about whether to stay at a regional or go to a, to, to a, a major. Even though there's going to be that pay cut that first year, maybe even the first two years, I, I could show you on paper from a standpoint of career earnings, work rules, and then, of course, these things like these packages may end at the regionals and the, you know, some time frame. It generally makes sense to to make that move. That's a personal decision that everyone has to make. And I don't want to ever judge anyone one way or another for making it. But from a pure pilot pay, salary, career expectations, you know, career quality, it almost always makes sense to make that jump. Well, when do we live in a world where regional and, and major flying kind of merges together? Like, I, I feel like that's almost an inevitable and maybe I'm alone in that, but I feel like that's kind of the road we're teetering down. Well, it's, it's kind of, it, we're as close to that as we've ever been. We've even seen, as you know, some, some uh, major uh, union uh, MECs uh, come out and say, Hey, we should be merged with that, you know, from a scope point of view, which is very, very important to the legacy carriers. Um, the pilots there. Uh, one way to solve the scope is is to take all the flying, you know, whether it's the 50 seaters on up. There are some disadvantages to that because uh, if all of a sudden you, you were to take, you know, a 50 seat jet on your main line, you know, that could hurt your hiring function, uh, believe it or not, because 
if other carriers don't do that and they might be able to hire people that would maybe go work right away for a larger narrow body for higher pay down the road. But but that's more of a technical thing that might have to be worked out. But this is as close as we've ever been to answer your question, Justin. And I do think that's going to be a solution that at least some uh, airlines work out. I think United could be kind of close to that. Certainly Americans probably the closest, especially because because, you know, who's funding this these this pay at PSA yeah. and. Yeah, it's 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 not PSA, and it's it's my guess is it's not PSA, and my guess is it's not Envoy. It's money coming down from the main line. Yeah, and it really makes you think that American is kind of prioritizing their problems. They're like, look, you know, the retirements, the all these retirements are coming soon. We're gonna have to pay our major guys soon, but it's like we have to have pilots right now. This is our number one problem, so let's try to fix this. And yeah, we're gonna piss off all our other pilots, but we'll, we'll eventually get there too. But we just have yeah. to do this. Yeah. Well, and um. Maybe this isn't fair. Uh, in my opinion, having having worked with most of the major airlines about the pilot hiring, the one the one um, the one airline that I haven't uh, really seen put a lot of the traditional efforts into this is American Airlines. You know, for instance, you've Delta, you've got their Propel program. United has an Aviate program, but um, for some reason, uh, we we you know we we see di- we see a different approach at American, but. It seems to be working for them. Like you said, they're they're prioritizing, you know, uh, at the regionals. And that's probably one of the more likely places you might see a merger between the seniority list there as well. It's going to be really interesting to see, but everyone has a different approach. But, but you know, FedEx has their Purple Runway program. Uh, uh, um, UPS has a program, I forget what it's called, but, but they all have these programs. I haven't exactly seen that uh, American Airlines. I think they have a cadet program, but I think it works differently, but, but it's, it's just interesting to see uh, the different approaches to solve the problem. Yeah. But I mean, like if everyone's doing one thing, so like why copy United and Delta and get in the same race as them when you can just be like, Hey, we're just going to pay you a ton of money to come fly for our regionals and eventually going to flow up to us. And the normal pilots be like, okay, cool. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. And not only are you going to flow up to us when you flow to us, we're going to pay you a crap ton of money. Sorry to Talk oh, like that, but yeah. that's, that's, there's a big bonus for coming over on the flow at both PSA and Envoy. I mean, I want to say it's like over a hundred thousand just to, just to do that. So in essence, it really gives pause. To, so if you're an Envoy pilot and you're a captain there, right? You're you're really employable at United. You're really employable at Delta, FedEx, uh, UPS, wherever else. But if if you want, if you're American and you want to keep that person there. Um, this is probably the way you do it. And so um, I, I have no, I'm not, I have no access to their data, but it would be really interesting to see uh, how much it's working. My guess is, is we know it's working because they re-upped it at PSA, right? If it wasn't working, then they wouldn't put the money back in the program. You know, or maybe they put more money in the program. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, that wasn't enough? All right, $500,000 to fly regions. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as an American, I'm not an American pilot, but if I was an American pilot, it would be hard for me not to be upset with seeing all that money go down there. Uh, I mean, kudos to the regional pilots for getting it. It's like, it's all about timing, right? This industry is all about timing. Uh, So get it while you can, because you never know if it's going to last. Unfortunately, that's a grim way to put it, but you just truly never know. That that's true. And I have to guard against the, the old man bitterness, you know, because we've all been through an industry that was much different, you know, when I came out and it's really hard sometimes to see this. And, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of people my age and, and older, and there's, there's a lot of people at the regionals today. There's probably some even listening now that um, just were through no fault of their own, just were timing of the market, timing of the hiring, 
9-11, you know, the pandemic, you know, avian flu, all the other things, recessions, they just never made the jump to a major airline. And again, it's not because of anything they did wrong or anything. They just were simply unlucky. And, you know, it's it's got to be tough, I'm sure, uh, on that side to see, you know, people. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, UND, and I, know I think Amber Riddle's got the same one. You know, there's direct to Sun Country. There's a there's a direct to Frontier program. Um, there, you know, there's some of these, I mean, you have to put in a lot more time on the instructing side and you have to go through a lot more training, but, um, I mean, these are things that we've never, I mean, I couldn't imagine coming out of college and flying an Airbus, you know, that just right. it blows my mind. Well, it kind of follows the, uh, I mean, in a way it's kind of starting to follow the, the track that the Europeans do where you just kind of get your CFI, you don't even get your CFI, you just get your commercial and you go straight into the Airbus and you start flying it. Granted, you don't have the same uh, privileges as like a first officer, but uh, you're in the airplane and you're, you're flying on routes with passengers on, on board. Um, but it, it kind of seems like we're kind of slowly meshing that way where uh, they're doing more of uh, hiring younger pilots and having these better pathways. It's an interesting, yeah, the, the European Asian model uses the multi-crew pilots license or the MPL. Um, and it's exactly what you're saying. It's, it's, it's a very different way of teaching someone how to fly from day one, you get hired by your airline and you learn all about the Airbus or whatever aircraft you're going to eventually go fly on. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, I, you know, this is, uh, of course, this, I'm going to sound like a uh, partisan, you know, pro U.S. Uh, uh, person here. Um, I do think uh, one of the big contributors to our safety, because, you know, by any stretch, we've got the safest system that you can imagine. Uh, in the U.S., uh, just just looking at the statistics, I'm not saying other places aren't safe, but but I think a lot of that is due to the system that we have in place for for uh, you know pilots coming up. That being said, um, I do think we need to take a, a deep look at this MPL. Uh, one of the big questions, though, with that MPL, and and maybe this is just a um, union talking point from the U.S., so so you can put weight on this accordingly. Um, it would be interesting to see the captain upgrades because eventually you're going to need captains. And the MPL, uh, as far as I know, it really trains you well for the right seat and assisting the captain. Uh, but does it really help with, um, you know, when you have to move to the left seat and start making those command decisions? As we all know, uh, it's tough. It, the, anyone that makes it to the left seat of of any fractional, any 121, even any 135, they've, they, they know how hard that is and how much responsibility it is. So we have to really keep our eyes on that MPL. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sold on it personally, but, yeah. um, but it would be good to see uh, the data. Well, I guess so too, when I say that, are we headed kind of toward that way? Uh, we're probably putting our own spin on it, right? So uh, Aviate trains you as a United pilot from day one. Like you're learning the flows, you're learning the SOPs, you're learning the call outs. So you're getting the the training that United wants you from day one while still doing all of your training and getting a uh, thousand hours or whatever your restricted ATP will be coming from that academy before you're hired into a smaller regional airplane. So it is going to be different, but it, it, in some ways they might have uh, borrowed a couple things, just improved it uh, and made it more an American way, I guess. I don't know a better way to say it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, I think that's a fair point. Uh, I need to, edit, I need to educate myself a little bit more on, on that, uh, and especially on the MPL parts, but I think you're, I think that's a fair point. Yeah. Well, that's all I got, man. Uh, 55 minutes right on the nose. I think that's good for this one. Uh, we'll, we'll do this again. Uh, my kid has passed out, so I've learned that 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, <laughs> Eastern time. Uh, <laughs> Eastern time <laughs> is a good time to do this, and hopefully it doesn't start screaming. But uh, Jim, thanks Perfect. for coming on, man. I appreciate um, 
these conversations are a lot of fun. So I hope everyone gets some good value out of this and we'll do it again soon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Justin. Yep, see ya. Aviation that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Like I said, this is going to be a constant thing. We're going to be doing this more often, and I'm excited about that. Jim and I have a good schedule that we have set up, and we're going to get these episodes cranked out And uh, for you. So let us know what you want us to talk about. I hope you're having a great day. And as always, happy flying.